Let's take our Bibles together now to the book of Micah. We're going verse by verse through this prophet in the Old Testament. I'm glad that that all the Bible is given to me to learn from and get something out of. This prophet of God that preached during the reigns of three different kings and during the time of when God began to judge Israel before they went into captivity, though that's the historical setting, there's much for us to learn. And tonight we're going to pick up in verse number uh, 10 again, and really you have a listing of so many different cities. You'll see that all the way through the text. He mentions all of these cities. Now, these cities doesn't mean anything to you, but if he said Miami and New York and Chicago, and, and by the way, the judgment of God is coming to a city near you, and that's sad, and it looks like to me that the judgment gets to the cities first. If you look at the text here, because he just lists them over and over, those that are experiencing the judgment of God because they've turned from the Lord. And it's not that God's a mean God. It's people just turn away from the Lord. And so there are things that are going to happen because of that. So all these cities are mentioned. And before we read Micah chapter 10, and hopefully we'll finish the first chapter tonight, I want you to turn back. Hold your finger there. Go to Isaiah chapter 36. You know these two prophets were contemporaries and I think you can get sort of the sense of all of these cities that you probably never heard of from Isaiah chapter 36 get an overall context of what these cities are who they are he says in Isaiah chapter 36 verse 1 now it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the defensed cities of Judah. Now, that's what we're going to be reading about in Micah chapter 1. The prophet already prophesied of what was going to happen. You know, you'd think after a while somebody would say, you know, we better listen to what God says is coming. I mean, if God called your city out and had a prophet write it down, wouldn't you sort of? But, you know, when people get far away from God, it doesn't matter if God calls out their city or God calls out their nation or God calls their name. When you're you're sort of numb to the word of God, it doesn't really matter what he says. So Micah has already mentioned all of these cities. These are defense cities on the borders of most of them on the borders of of Judah and he's going to say right here in in chapter 36 of Isaiah verse number one that Sennacherib king of Assyria is going to come up against all the defense cities of Judah and he took them and the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish and Lachish is going to be one of these cities that Micah mentions that we're going to read about in chapter one He mentions this very city, and this city is the city in Judah that is taken over by the king of Assyria, and that Sennacherib is going to come from this city all the way down to Jerusalem. You see verse 2, the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to Jerusalem unto king Hezekiah with a great army, and he stood 
by the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. You can go back to Micah. So what we see here is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Micah that Isaiah is writing about. He told of all the judgment that's coming on these cities and lists them out. And it's happening just as he said. But the people that were in these cities evidently paid no heed and gave no attention until it was, was too late. And then Sennacherib was coming in. The king of Assyria was coming in. Now, if you study your Bible, and I'm not going to get too far in the weeds on this. This is a, a, a picture of how the Antichrist is going to come against Jerusalem in the future. Now, thank the Lord, I'm going to be gone. I'm not going to be here. And God's not dealing with the nation of Israel right now. He's dealing with the church through the church, you see. He's not forgotten them, Romans 11 says. But there is coming a day that they're going to be grafted in, but we're going to have to leave this world before he picks up dealing with the nation of Israel again. And so this story of Sennacherib coming down into Israel is exactly the picture of the Antichrist that's going to come in, in the days ahead against Israel. And there's going to be a miraculous turn of events. It would take a miracle for Sennacherib and all the armies of Assyria to be defeated. I mean, he has no problem. He has a very easy time taking all the strongest cities of Judah. And he's already taken uh, captivity, the, the, other, the, the northern kingdoms into captivity. And he, he's having no resistance coming into Judah. But when he comes to Jerusalem, and even Micah chapter 1 even says he comes to the gate. He gets all the way to the gate. If you get all the way to the gate, you're, you're knocking on the door of somebody's house. He gets all the way to the gate. And supernaturally, God tells Hezekiah, I'm going to take care of all of them. And you don't have the power to fight him, and you don't have the army to fight him. And they're all blaspheming and making fun of God. And you don't have any power to do anything. I mean, they're at the gate. And they have got hundreds of thousands of troops. And God sends one angel. Just just one. God sends one angel and wipes 180,000 people dead. And when they wake up and that many people are dead, they go home. They, They leave. Now, that's a picture of how miraculous the event is going to be when the Antichrist comes against Israel. And, when the, and, and you know, God's not going to send his angel. He's going to come in person. It won't just be an appearance of the Lord. It'll be the Lord himself that's going to take care of all that business. But, but nevertheless, I think it's a beautiful picture. But why, why is Israel? Guys, this is the whole, what a lesson that we could all learn. Why is Israel in so much trouble in the book of Micah during the tribulation period? Even now. Because they didn't listen to God and they didn't listen to his prophets. And they sinned against the Lord. And you know, a very interesting thing is said, and I'll get to the text in a second. A very interesting thing said in Romans chapter 11 when it talks about the church in Israel. It tells us as the church of God that we better not be high-minded. Because if God did that to the natural branches, 
What's he going to do to us that are wild? That's what he calls us, wild. wild <laughs> We're a wild olive tree, you see. Yeah. If, if God was severe with them, well, is he going to overlook our sins? And, and, and if we don't listen to God, of course he's not. There, there's going to be judgment in our life too. So there's something that we can all learn from this text about if you don't listen to the Lord, if you don't keep short accounts with your sins with God, there, there's a consequence for that. And that's because God loves us, you see. He's not just going to let us go our, our merry way and hand in hand with the devil. Thank God for that. How many parents let their kids go hand in hand with the devil and they don't say nothing to them? Well, now, you, your kids get grown. You can't help it if they take hand in hand with the devil, but you don't have to encourage them about it. And you, don't, you, you can be a voice against what they're doing, you see. So go back to our text in the book of, of Micah, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through these cities and I'm going to talk about uh, what, what the verse says about these cities. But there's one city I really want to focus my attention on tonight. Because as we go through these cities, he's going to list all the things that didn't help them. You know, when man gets in trouble, he, he, he tries to grab a hold of things to help him out of his problem. But usually all the things that he reaches for to help him out of his problem or the judgment of God doesn't help him at all. That's what happens here. So let's start in verse number 10 of Micah chapter 1. The first thing he says is, Declare ye it not at Gath. Weep ye not at all. Now, the first city that he mentions is Gath. Now, you know that city of Gath, do you not? You've heard of it before. Now, that is a city that was a Philistine city. We know the nation of Israel conquered the Philistines and all that, but that was the chief city of the Philistines. That was Goliath of Gath. Remember that guy, the great enemy of God, the enemy of David. Now notice what he says, declare ye, not, declare ye it not at Gath. In other words, he says, don't go around telling Gath how God is judging us. Mm. God judges his people, but you know what? When the heathen hear about it, you know when we have a discipline in the church here, when we deal with sin in, in uh, anybody's life here, we're not going to air it out to the heathen. You know why? It's bad enough to deal with it in the body of believers. We don't, we don't need more, uh, more evidence to the heathen that we don't know what we're doing and we don't know what we're talking about. Do I make myself clear on that? So whenever a Christian runs down other Christians or even talks about their sins in front of the heathen, that is such a foolish thing because what you're doing, you're tearing down the testimony of God in front of people that don't know God. And I know that, that God's people have problems, but we don't want to air our problems and our sins in front of the heathen because they need God. And if they see the problems in our lives, they'll think they, that God's not even real. I, I think that's so important. This exact phrase, tell you not it, it gath is in 2 Samuel chapter 1. You know what it's about? It's about when the Philistines killed Saul. Remember that? And they came and told David. 
that Saul was dead and Jonathan was dead and his sons were dead. The Philistines killed him. And when, he, when they came and told David that, you know what he said? He said, tell it not in Gath. I don't want the enemies of God to know that they have been victorious. Now, there's no way to stop some of that, but he didn't want the heathen to know of the failures of the people of God. Mm. You know, that's a really good, uh, probably a point of interest to you if you're a parent. Be very, very careful not to start telling them all, all other people's failures. They'll see them soon enough. That, that's, not, that's not what we need to do. That, that's not, that does not help them to air out all those things. I mean, sometimes we have to deal with stuff as a church here in a business meeting. We've, we've had to do it with missionaries, and we've called a men's meeting. We've, we've had it in our own congregation, and we've called men's meeting. You know why? Well, we don't want to get up and tell the whole world you know why? Because the, the heathen world has a bigger problem than God just dealing with their personal sins. They're going to go to a Christless eternity in a lake of fire forever and ever. Their problem is not God judging them for a sin they commit. Their problem is they're going to be in outer darkness for all eternity, you see. But that is a note to us. Declare you not it at Gath. Later on, when David said, I don't want that people in Gath to know about Saul being dead. A few chapters later, David commits his sin with Bathsheba. I think it's about chapter 12, 11 chapters later. And Nathan says this to him. He says, because you have given the enemies of the Lord this great cause to blaspheme. God's, God's bringing judgment in your house. And so I think, you know, there's, a, there's so many motivations to do right. One, if we do right, it helps us. If we, if we do right, it helps people that are around us. But man, if we do right, it also will have a good testimony before the heathen that, that they don't even know God. So the sad thing in Micah chapter 1, God's judging the nation of Israel and all these cities but, but the heathen are going to find out about it. And the prophet said, I, I, I wish they don't even find out about this. Micah 1 verse 10, watch it. Declare ye not at Gath, weep ye not at all. In other words, don't, don't let them see your tears and your crying. It, we, of course we ought to cry over our sins. We ought to weep over the judgment of God in people's lives. But he doesn't want the enemies of God to see that. He doesn't want to cry humble tears in front of the mocking enemy. He wants our brokenness to be before the Lord and not for those that don't know God. It's sort of like um, you don't want your enemy to see you down. That, that's, that's not really smart. If your enemy knows you're discouraged, you know what they're going to do? You know some of those uh, big cats, those, those big predators, they can sense when another animal is weak. They can sense when another animal is afraid. And so that will be the prey that they target. 
He says, don't, don't weep. Don't weep down there in Gath. Don't weep in front of them. It, it's sort of like when we were playing football, you know, in, in high school, and the coach would say, now, if you get, if you get hit hard, you get hurt, don't, don't let them see you hurt. Just get back up and walk back to the huddle. That's when we used to have huddles, you know. Walk back to the huddle and, and stand up straight. And if you're dying, don't let them see that. Because you know what? If they do, they're going to focus on that, on that weakness. So he says, weep not at all. Don't cry in front of the heathen. That, that's what he's saying. I, I'm just saying what the prophet's saying. He says, let's go back to verse 10. Declare ye it not at Gath. Weep ye not at all. Then he says, in the house of Aphra. Now, Aphra is a... A Benjamite city. It's, it's not a former Philistine city. It's a Benjamite. He said in the house of Aphra, roll thyself in the dust. You see that humility. He said, hey, because of the judgment that's come, you need to humble yourself and roll yourself in the dust. You remember, uh, you, know, to, you know, dust I am and dust I'm going to return. It's just, Job said it so many times. I'm just dust and ashes, you know. That was a statement of humility, a statement of, uh, of bowing before the Lord in, in mourning and in humility. And that's what he's saying here. You need to roll yourself in the dust. You need, it's almost like somebody's died, you know, and, and you're at mourning, you see. Verse number 11 is the next city. Pass ye away, thou inhabitant of Saphir. Having thy shame naked. He says, pass ye away. Now, you can look that two ways. Pass away as in pass away into captivity and, and your shame is going to be open for everybody to see. That's going to happen in your life in the judgment of God. But, you know, when, when you talk about somebody passing away, what, 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 how do you use that term? It's, it's death. There's so much about the, these pictures that is somebody's dying. And I'll say this, if you look in the Bible, when God gets mad, people start dying. It doesn't matter if it's Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, when God gets angry, it doesn't matter if it's, it's Herod. He makes a speech and he's eat up of worms. When God gets mad, people start, they start keeling over. And so he says, pass ye away, thou inhabitant of Sapphira. That little phrase, pass away, you know, we use that phrase a lot, so-and-so passed away. Why don't we just say they died? Well, that's a phrase in the Bible, James chapter 1, verse 10, Psalm 37, 36, Job 34, 20, talks about the word pass away when a guy dies. I'm just trying to be a, you know, a little bit more gentle. I've had to tell family members that their, their loved one died, and I don't go up to them and say, hey, you know, your husband just died. You're trying to be a little more helpful than that. The best thing to say is, if he's saved, he went home to be with the Lord. But a lot of times we have to say, you know, he passed away. That's a phrase that we use. Now, you know why I wanted to bring that up? Because how about this verse in the Bible? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away you know when you got saved your old life died it went to the graveyard all that old shame and sin and guilt all that is just as doorknob dead as it could be 
And so don't let the devil bring that up to you. If you're saved by the grace of God, that's dead. It's passed away. That's a wonderful thing. You ought to look at it like that. Don't let it haunt you. So, he, But he comes to these people that are under the judgment of God in this city. He said, Pass ye away, thou inhabitant of Sapphire, having thy shame naked. And then he says this, The inhabitant of Zayan, that's another city, came not forth in the morning of Beth-Ezel. That's another city. Now, now, these two cities are very close to each other. They're neighbors. They're twins. Geographically, they're close. Now, what he's saying here, look at it again. The inhabitant of Zion came not forth in the morning of Beth-Ezel. Now, if, if your neighbor had a death in the family, what's the first thing you do if your neighbor has a death in the family? Wouldn't you want to go visit them? We have visitation for people that die that we, that we want to show our respects. We try to give some kind of aid or some comfort, right? Or encouragement. If you have a neighbor, unless you don't like all of your neighbors, and they have a death in the family, I would think you would want to go over there and try to be of some help to them. Here, when the judgment of God falls, the inhabitant of Zion came not forth in the morning of Beth Ezel. The neighbor could not help the other neighbor. You know why? Because they were in as much pain and suffering and hardship as the other guy. When neighbors can't help neighbors, you're in a bad position, you see. He says in the next phrase, he shall receive of you his standing. In other words, Zayan is going to get their standing from Beth Ezel. They're standing, hold them up. Their, their strength. But the, but the problem is, these neighbors can't help each other. That's what he's trying to say. They are both helpless. They're in mourning. They're in the judgment of God. And they can't be the strength and the standing and the comforter for one another. They're in the same boat. And when the judgment starts falling in land, people that are nearby can even, You know what's a great thing about being in church? When somebody has a tragedy or a need, we all just... We, we all coalesce around one another. You know there's coming a day on this planet the judgment of God's going to be so severe that even neighbors can't help neighbors. Because they're both going to be helpless. That's what's going on right here. These two cities can't help each other. I'm going to skip verse 12 because that's what I really want to talk about. But look at verse 13. O thou inhabitant of Lachish. Now that's what we read about in Isaiah. Bind the chariot to the swift beast. She is the beginning of the sin to the daughter of Zion, for the transgressions of Israel were found in thee. Lachish, that border city, that city that was nearest to the northern kingdom in all of, of her idolatry, is now has partaken. You see, the transgressions of Israel were found in thee. In other words, the transgression of the, of the northern kingdom, Lachish was so close, and they, they just got a hold of the transgression and the weakness up there. That means this, the closer you are to people that aren't right with God, the higher probability is going to be that you are not going to be right with God. The nearer you are to people that don't know God, that's what you're saying. The sins they have in their life, the closer you get to other people that don't live in harmony with the Bible and things of the Lord, that is going to be a trend in your own life. That's what happened with Lachish. They were way up there close to the, to the northern kingdom that went in apostasy and turned from God and, and were involved in idolatry, and they partook of the same sins of Israel. 
And thereby when Sennacherib comes in, that's the first city that he's going to plant in. And that's even going to be his base. He's going to send from Lachish down to Jerusalem. He says, he says this, right here, she is the beginning of the sin to the daughter of Zion. So little by little, the sin just passes. Guys, sin is like a terrible contagious disease. It just keeps passing down. And that's what's happened to these cities. Now there's something else here. He says, bind the chariot to the swift beast. Not only, I just said in the previous, in verse 11, that your neighbors can't, aren't going to help them. And now their military can't help them. Their chariots, their horses, their swift beasts, they're not going to help them. He said that in Proverbs 21, verse 31. You know, it's not a good place to put confidence in, in a horse. It's not, not a good place, Psalm 33, 16, 17, to put confidence in the strength of arms in the military. Guys, I believe in arming to the teeth. I really believe that. But at the end of the day, none of that's going to help when the judgment of God falls. All these people buying bunkers, you know, and all this stuff. Guys, you know what's bad about that? In the tribulation period, these things coming up out of the bottomless pit will go right through the steel bunker door. You don't keep things coming up out of hell out of your bunker. The bunker didn't help Hitler too well either, did it? I'm just saying, people, and he was the most powerful. He could have prepared everything for that, but it didn't help him either. All the military might in the world cannot keep us safe. It's not a help. The neighbors weren't a help. The military might wasn't a help. Look at verse 14. Therefore shalt thou give presents to Moorish Gath. That's, that's another Philistine city. So they're going to give presents to, to this enemy city. Why are they doing that? Well, they, they think they can buy their way out of it. You, you see that? If we'll just give enough presents, if we'll give enough gifts, then these people will come to our aid. You know what? You can't buy yourself out of trouble. That, that didn't help them. You can't, you know, if, if, if you get a terminal disease, all the money in the world ain't going to take it away. If, if, if God stopped the rain, you can't buy it. If God won't, you can't pay God off. You can pay politicians off. You can pay people off, but you can't pay God off. And here they're even going to the enemies of God. But the enemies of God can't even help them. The Philistine cities are not going to be able to help them against the king of Assyria. The heathen won't help him. That's always intriguing to me. Uh, some of these backslidden Christians that, you know, party and have a good time with the lost people. And then when they get in trouble, they don't get any help from the lost people. The people that they partied with, not going to help them. That's what's happened here. No help from the neighbors. No help from the military. No help from the heathen. Look at the next, next phrase of verse 14. The houses of Akzib shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. Here, Akzib is a city in Judah. Evidently, this city in Judah made some promises that they were going to help the kings, but they lied to them. I think that tells you this, that the promises of other people... Have you, have you ever really counted on somebody's promise and it fell through? 
Now, you can't say that about God. God's promises never fall through. But here, this city of Judah lies to the kings of Israel. They said, oh, you know, whatever they said, we'll help you, we'll be there for you. But their promise fell on deaf ears. And they didn't help them. Promises of other people don't help you either. Then he says in verse number 15, Yet will I bring an heir unto thee, O inhabitant of Marishah. He said, what I'm going to be, somebody else is going to get your inheritance. Somebody else is coming for your inheritance. I will bring an heir unto thee. Somebody else is going to take what was rightly yours. In other words, all their riches, all their inheritance, doesn't, however much that, that they had laid up, it's not going to help them because somebody else is going to get what they were an heir of. Yet will I bring an heir unto thee, O inhabitant of Mereshah. He shall come unto Adullam, the glory of Israel. Now that's, now that city, how many of you remember in the life of David, when David really was trying to find safety running from Saul, he ran down to Adullam and he got in a cave. And that was a stronghold. Saul could not get to him. Of course, God was involved in that. But he's in that cave of Adullam. And you know what happened in that cave of Adullam? All the people that were in debt and distressed and discouraged, they all ran to David to that stronghold place knowing that they could get help. Now you think about that in light of how he mentions this city. He says, he shall come unto Adullam, the glory of Israel. Even the enemy, the enemy that's coming from Lachish, the the judgment of God of Sennacherib and Assyria, he's even going to come to the the glorious stronghold, the the big strong places, and they're not going to be a help either. There's just no help here. You know why that is? Because our help comes from the Lord that made heaven and earth. You're not going to get help from your neighbor. You're not going to get help from promises of other people. You're not going to get help from the military or might. You're not going to get help from the heathen. You're not going to get help by all the inheritance and stuff that you've laid up for yourself. And the very strongest places in your life won't give you any help that you really need because your help's got to come from the Lord. And see, here's the problem. They've made God mad. I'd say if he's your only help, you ought not make him mad. But see, we live in a a society, they don't think God gets mad about anything. That's not true. Anybody, uh, you know, I had a great dad. But I've seen him mad. Matter of fact, I don't think that that a dad is even a good dad if he's never gotten mad. Because a good father is going to get mad at things that are going to destroy the home. He's going to get mad at the things that attack the home. And so the Lord can get upset with his people as well. Boy, what a good motivation for us to stay in good harmony with God. I don't know what's going to happen before the Lord comes, but if it starts falling on these cities, you will be glad, amen, that you have stayed close to God. I know I'm going out in the rapture. I'm not worried about that. But, man, I don't know what's going to happen before then. Sometimes we think that God's given a promise to America that he's just going to keep us perfectly safe and wealthy. and that Nobody else has got that promise. 
He just says, I'll be with you. Now, here's the verse. I said all that, say this. Look at verse number, where is it? Losing my eyes. Verse 12. For the inhabitant of Maroth, that's another city, waited carefully for good, but evil came down from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. You know what else failed them? Positive thinking. Here's a city that says, I tell you what, let's just think happy thoughts. Look at the verse. For the inhabitant of Maroth waited carefully for good. Something's good about to happen. I know what that prophet preaches, but something's good going to happen. If we'll just think good thoughts, I know good's coming. Because God is a good God and all God would ever do for us is good. So we're just going to wait for the good. They waited carefully for good. But evil came down from the Lord. I began thinking about how our society just tells you if you'll carefully wait for good and put your mind upon good things, everything will be all right. You know that's the mantra of society today? Even the religion. Just think good thoughts. Matter of fact, every now and then you'll hear them do this. Uh, You can hear it in sports things. You can hear them in all types of settings. They'll say something like this. All right, let's all send this person some positive energy. You ever heard that? What is that? Let's all think these happy thoughts and send our positive good thoughts. That's some like some Eastern mystic religion. That's like transcendentalism. Let's just send our happy thoughts. Let's just all think happy things and everything will be good. No, they waited patiently for good and evil came down from the Lord. I started thinking about how many false religions and cults do that and how it's infiltrated even modern liberal uh, religion that's all around us. The first one I thought about was Christian science. Christian science, you don't hear a lot about it anymore, but uh, the lady that started it, well, that's your first clue that it's, it's of the devil. God never used a woman to start a religion. My soul, what's wrong with people? Or God would never use an American to start a religion. How about that? Her name was Mary Baker. But she had about four or five divorces, so it was Mary Baker Eddie Patterson Glover is what her real name was. So she said, I tell you, if we'll just think good thoughts, yeah, I bet. You've been through that many relationships, you've got to start thinking some kind of good thoughts somewhere. So Christian science, they believe that hell and heaven are just states of mind. It's just a state of mind, it's the way you think. They they believe in the unreality of matter. There's a guy back in the 50s was talking to my granddaddy about this, and he was trying to tell him about all this stuff, you know. And um, He was saying, you know, pain is just a figment of your imagination. My grandpa said, put your hand down there. He picked his ball-peen hammer up. I want to see if you really believe what you say. 
what Christian science, you know, pain, all these things, they're, they're, just, they're just bad thoughts. And if we'll, just, if we'll just get rid of the bad thoughts, everything will be good. What a lie of the devil. So people want to go to a church where all they hear is good thoughts. Because though they wouldn't say it, but what they're really, they're on the same plane of this woman. We, we can't have any negative energy. You ever heard that? Can't have this negative energy. Hey, but without negative and a positive, you don't go nowhere. You don't go anywhere with just positive energy. That's why there's a negative terminal on your battery. We're taking people said, y'all need to quit driving batteries with negatives on them. See how far you get. So that's Christian science. Well, then in, that was in the 1800s, late 1800s. So then along comes uh, a former Methodist preacher, pastor, up in New York City. Nothing can good come out of New York City. Norman Vincent Peale who in 1952 wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking and made bukus of money. Eisenhower was his buddy and Kennedy was his buddy and even Reagan gave him some big award. You know why? Because he just told everybody if they would just think good thoughts. He was a heretic. He didn't believe in the new birth. He borrowed a lot of what he had from the woman in the Christian science thing. Let's just all think positive thoughts. So then comes along a real nutcase, A.L. Ron Hubbard. Scientology. You know, the religion of stars, the cult of stars. And Hubbard would have sessions with people or his people would have sessions with him to just remove all their mental trauma. So you get in touch with this weird, this guy believed in aliens and all. That is the kookiest. Matter of fact, that's right up there with Mormonism as being kooky. If people really knew what Scientologists and Mormons believe, they are the most whacked out. You could not write a science fiction novel any more wild than what they believe. Scientology. Zeno was the guy millions of years ago in outer space. Now, they don't start off talking like that. Just like Mormons don't start off saying that Lucifer and Jesus were brothers. Just whack, whacked out. But it's all about let's get together and get rid of our trauma and get all this positive energy. So you move from there and then you go down town in Houston and you sit in front of Joel Osteen who will never preach about sin and will never say anything negative. Be the best you. Have the best life you can have. Hug yourself. Love yourself. Isn't it a great day? Maybe it's a terrible day. But no, if you'll just think it's a great day. That's where we are, guys. 
If you'll just tell yourself it's a great... Don't go listen to those Bible-thumping preachers that tell you about sin and the judgment of God and hell. Get all that negative energy. Just think good thoughts. Just have, Don't let anybody rebuke you. Don't let anybody tell you what's wrong with you. Wait carefully for good. And then evil will come down from the Lord. I don't believe in the power of positive thinking. I believe in the power of negative thinking. I'm a sinner. That's negative. I'm nothing. He's everything. The failure of positive And I'm telling you, it, it totally destroys our society. That's why when you try to correct your children, the whole world is against you because if you say anything negative to them. And grandparents, please, I'm fixing to be one by the grace of God. But God deliver us from changing our mentality and say, saying, oh, the grandkids just need positive. <laughs> they got to have both. Oh, don't do that to them. Don't whip them. Don't correct them like that. I've seen grandparents correct their children while they're correcting their children. How crazy is that? Oh, if we'll just be positive, it'll be all right. Yeah, that's what this city said. Yeah, we've heard the prophets say that judgment's coming, but let's just, let's just think good thoughts. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of Ahab and Jehoshaphat that were together and Jehoshaphat said we need a preacher here and in come all these prophets and say this is going to be a great victory everything's wonderful and Jehoshaphat said I know a preacher when I see one and ain't none of these preachers is there not a prophet of the Lord he said yeah there's one guy but I hate him you know why because he never speaks good of me and I'm the king and I want positive energy But I'll call him just for you, Jehoshaphat. In comes Micah. And what they said was, Zedekiah came in and he said, he said, everything's good. And they told Micah, they said, hey, everybody's saying good things. Don't you mess this up. Because we just want to think about good things. He said, well, I'll just have to say what God tells me to say. It's like those people, Jeremiah said, they've healed the daughter of my people slightly by saying peace, peace, when there's no peace. Everything's good. But it wasn't good. Now, I'm done with that. That's a failure. But when I say that, I've got to turn around and say something else. Because some people, some born-again people, think that because of what I just said is true that negativity is spiritual and pessimism is spiritual and skepticism is spiritual have you ever met met somebody that's negative about everything somebody got saved well I wonder if they meant it You, you you ever been around somebody like that well, we had a great service, didn't we? Yeah, but I didn't like that one song they picked out. I don't think the words in there are right. 
didn't we have a great meeting? Yeah, but one of those eight missionaries, I just didn't like the way that he presented. Some people cannot help but be negative even when you're supposed to be positive. I don't believe in the power of positive thinking. But I do believe that faith is positive. I do do believe that I am positive that God at the end wins. I'm positive about that. I'm an optimist that he doeth all things well. And I believe that all things still work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called according to his presence. I believe that. I don't want to live my life as a skeptic or as a pessimist or as negative about everything all the time. And by the way, that will kill your home. If you want your kids to leave and never even look back on what you believe, just be negative all the time. They don't want that. I'm not saying be positive when something's bad, but I'm saying, man, there are so many things in life to be positive about. That's why when we come, yeah, we have hard preaching, and we preach on sin, and we humble ourselves before God, and we know that we're nothing. But you know what we also do when we come in here? We praise the Lord, and we thank God, and we raise our hands, and we get excited about what God is doing. And there are some people that look at the positive thinkers and say, well, I've got to be on the other side. I've got to be the negative thinker. And there's a boogeyman behind every door. And every preacher's got secrets in his closet. And every Christian's a hypocrite. And everybody's out to get me. And life is terrible and it's always going to be terrible. See, that's the other ditch. God doesn't bring negativity to us, so we'll live there. He brings negativity to us, so we will repent and be restored unto the joy of His salvation. God's people are supposed to be the happiest people in the world. 